Thank you very much for that special music. I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, glad you're all here, visitors and members, and those that have come back uh, for a little visit. We welcome you here too. Um, since it is Thanksgiving season, I thought it would be appropriate to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and being grateful and uh, thankful. And uh, there's enough in the Bible about it, but we'll just cover it briefly here. So it is probably appropriate to start, sorry, pointing, pointing the wrong way, there we go. Ah, there we go. Um, it's appropriate to start at the first Thanksgiving. So this is a picture here, or a drawing here, of what they think the first Thanksgiving may have been like. Uh, this took place around September 29th, sometime in the fall of 1621. Uh, it lasted three days. It included 50 people who were on the Mayflower and 90 Native Americans. Uh, back up about a year, so this was 1621. Gotta remember to go this way. There we go. Uh, they came on this boat. Obviously, this is a replica of it, but they came on the Mayflower. We're all familiar somewhat with the pilgrims coming on the Mayflower. Started off, there was a, about 100, maybe a little more, uh, that uh, started the trip. Uh, only half made it, though. Uh, as they landed in Plymouth in November of 1620, uh, it was a 66-day trip. That was hard enough, but then they had a whole winter ahead of them. And it was a very difficult one. It was cold. They had a lot of hard work. They experienced illness and hunger. And uh, interesting, interestingly enough, they actually, because they got here in November, they spent the winter on the boat. The boat was docked about, or anchored about a mile or two into the harbor, uh, away from land. And every day, the men would get in uh, smaller boats, rowboats, and they would row to land, and they would build and they started building their houses. Uh, within a year, uh, by the next year, they had built um, seven houses, three storehouses for food, and a meeting house. Um, and they were finally able to move on land. Now, they wouldn't have been able to make it through without the help of some of the Native Americans. Squanto and Samoset uh, were two um, Wampanoag Indians, uh, and them and the tribe had taught the pilgrims how to plant corn and other things, and it is um, understood that they probably wouldn't have made it, any of them would have put, probably not made it without the help of these folks. So uh, to show them how thankful they were, the next year, in 1621, they held what we consider to be the first Thanksgiving. Now this was very popular back then to have different feasts and so forth. Um, so they invited uh, their native friends and in order to thank them and God, they had this feast. And it lasted three days. They played games, they played sports, they did various other things and just enjoyed the fellowship with each other. Now talk about looking at the glass half full instead of half empty. They lost half their people in that winter. A little over 100 came over, about 50 survived. Uh, but instead of dwelling on the negative, they dwelt on the positive. They were thankful that half of them made it. And they had a feast to celebrate that. Now some interesting facts about uh, Thanksgivings in general. The first one here, it was cooked by the four adult pilgrim women who survived the trip. 
And they are Eleanor Billington, Elizabeth Hopkins, Mary Brewster, and Susanna White. So they, with their young daughters, male and female servants, cooked the dinner. But turkey wasn't on the menu. Uh, what was on the menu probably was venison, duck, goose, oysters, lobster, eel, fish with pumpkins and cranberries, but no pumpkin pie or cranberry sauce. Some other interesting facts about Thanksgiving. There we go. Abraham Lincoln uh, made it a national, proclaimed it a national holiday on October 3rd, 1863. And that woman that's pictured next to him, Sarah Josepha Hale, is the woman who pushed it. She also wrote the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. But besides writing songs, she wrote letters, and she wrote a lot of them. For 17 years, she wrote letters trying to get this holiday established, and finally it was in 1863. Uh, other interesting things about it, and presidents of the United States, um, there's, there we go, there we go, there's Harry Truman. So Harry Truman was credited with being the first president to pardon a turkey, but he actually didn't pardon it, he ate it. He was, it was presented to him and his family by the National Turkey Federation, and uh, so they enjoyed a nice turkey dinner. Now the uh, next picture, next slide we're gonna see is John Kennedy. He was also presented with a turkey, but he let it go. And so did, so did Richard Nixon. He gave it to a petting zoo. Uh, so uh, that was very nice of them. And then finally, um, George, H.W. Bush is the first president who formalized turkey pardoning, and that has been the uh, tradition ever since. This was, by the way, in 1989. Do you know there are four towns in Texas, or four towns in the United States named Turkey? Uh, they're found in Arizona, Texas, Louisiana, and North Carolina. Uh, I also understand, on my, not on my list here, but Benjamin Franklin wanted to make it the national bird. Good thing he was overridden on that. I would much rather have the eagle than the turkey. It just sounds a little better. Guess how many calories are consumed on the average uh, Thanksgiving per adult? Hmm? A lot. I heard a lot. 4,500. I don't know how they determined that, but uh, 4,500. So I guess that's okay one day a year. Uh, the tradition of playing football on Thanksgiving began a lot earlier than I thought. Uh, it happened actually back in 1876 with a game between Yale and Princeton, two college teams. The first NFL games were played in 1920, and that goes a lot uh, farther back than I thought too. I thought it was fairly recent, but no, it wasn't. Now, there are a number of verses in the Bible that talk about praise and thanksgiving and the importance of it. Uh, we're just going to look at two of them right now. Uh, this first one is interesting. It's from Psalm 117, 1 and 2. But did you know that this was, a song, this was psalms that were put to music back in Jesus' day? And this is actually the song that they sang after the, uh, after the Last Supper and before Jesus went to Gethsemane. And it goes like this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's an interesting song to sing before going to Gethsemane. And then we have our scripture reading for the day, which is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Now, how does it benefit us when we give thanks and give praise? Because God doesn't tell us to do anything that would be, wouldn't be a benefit to us. So we're going to look at seven things really quickly here. These are actually scientifically proven benefits of having gratitude by Amy Morman. This is Morin, I should say. This is found in Psychology Today. So the first benefit of showing gratitude is it opens the doors to more relationships. Not only does saying thank you constitute good manners, but a show, showing appreciation can help you win new friends, according to a 2014 study published in Emotion. The study found that thanking a new acquaintance makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship. So whether you thank a stranger for holding the door or send a thank you note to a colleague who helped you with a project acknowledging other people's contributions can lead to new opportunities. Benefit number two. You guys want to advance it there? <laughs> Benefit number two. Next slide. There we go. It improves physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains. That's interesting. And a report feeling healthier than other people, according to a 2012 study published in Personality and Individual Differences. Not surprisingly, Grateful people are also more likely to take care of their health. They exercise more often and are more likely to attend regular checkups, which is likely to contribute to the further longevity. So it's kind of a double benefit right there. Benefit number two. There we go. Oh, well, we got two more up there. That's okay. Uh, it improves psychological health. So gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Robert Emens, a leading gratitude researcher, has conducted multiple studies on the link between grat gratitude and well-being. His re research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. And we see up there number four, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. I'm sorry, uh, the other one was depression, this is aggression. Grateful people are more likely to behave in pro-social manner even when others are behaving less kindly. According to a 2012 study by the University of Kentucky, study participants who ranked higher on gratitude scales were less likely to retaliate against others. So it helps us in that way too. Now these should come as no surprise to us, should they? Uh, number five, there we go. Um, here's an interesting one. Gratitude, grateful people sleep better. Writing, uh, writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep, according to a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology, Health, and Well-Being. Spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed, and you may sleep better and longer. So you know that saying, count your blessings, not sheep? There's a lot of truth to that. Okay. Number six, self-esteem. A 2014 study published by the journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that gratitude increased athletes' self-esteem, an essential component to optimal performance. Other studies have shown that gratitude reduces social comparisons. Rather than becoming resentful toward people who have more money or better jobs, a major factor in reduced self-esteem, grateful people are able to appreciate other people's accomplishments. And finally, number seven. There we go. It increases mental strength. 
So for years, research has shown gratitude not only reduces stress, but it also may play a major role in overcoming trauma. A 2006 study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experience lower rates of post-traumatic stress disorders. And there's other things too, that other studies that um, bear this all out. So again, does this come as a surprise to anyone? God designed life to operate under certain laws, natural and moral laws. When we follow these, we benefit. Um, these laws are very uh, predictable. I'm going to look for a volunteer here. If I toss this ball to you, Kathy, would you be able to catch it? Okay, well, give it a try. All right, all right, now toss it back. All right, hey, pretty good. Let's give her a hand. All right, good, Kathy. All right, now, Kathy, did you know that we just implemented several laws of physics in throwing that ball back and forth? Um, the first is the law of motion. An object either remains at rest or continues to move at a constant velocity unless acted upon by external forces. Did you get that? All right, the second one is a law of gravitation. These are both Newton's laws. Well, he didn't really make them up. He just um, noticed them <laughs> and wrote them down, discovered them. Um, every particle attracts every other particle in the universe with a force which is directly proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between their centers. Now, did we know that as we were throwing the ball back and forth? No. I, could, I wouldn't be able to repeat that without reading it, to be honest with you. Um, but that's the beauty of natural laws. We don't have to understand how they work, but we can just observe them. Like any child knows that if you throw a ball up in the air, it's going to come down. God's laws are very natural, predictable, and um, when we operate in harmony with, harmony with them, we benefit a great deal. Now, those seven things that I put up about grateful people, you probably don't remember hardly any of them. <laughs> I don't remember any of them. But the thing is, it doesn't matter. Seven may be a, an arbitrary number. Maybe there's 10 benefits. Maybe there's 15 or 20 benefits to being grateful. It doesn't matter. We don't have to memorize these. We just have to be grateful. And whatever effects, good effects happen, they'll happen in those areas. And that's the beauty of God's laws, is that we don't have to understand exactly how they work uh, or even what they are. We just have to know and trust God to do them, and we're going to benefit. Now, there's other things, other laws that govern our behavior, other than the ones we mentioned. There's the law of liberty. Now, these laws are also always uh, testable, too. The law of liberty states that you need to be free to make your own decisions. Even God abides by those laws. And one of the, one of the examples I can think of in the Bible is uh, at Sinai. And you remember at Sinai how God thundered uh, from the mountain, and the people were afraid, and they said, talk to him, Moses. We don't want to talk to him. Tell him we'll do whatever he wants us to do. What were they motivated by? Fear. Fear. Um, and God, I could just see God saying to the angels, now watch this. He goes up in the mountain with Moses, and his presence is withdrawn from them for 40 days. And what do they do? They do exactly the opposite of what they promised they were going to do, because now they're no longer motivated, motivated by fear. And God could say, see, the only way I can win them back is if they voluntarily 
want to follow me. That's the only thing that works. Love, the way God operates under love, this is one of the natural laws, a law of liberty. You cannot force people to make decisions. You can't force them to change their mind. You can do it temporarily, that doesn't change their mind. You can, you can force certain behaviors while fear is there, but once that's removed, the, their motivation is gone. You can only change people permanently when they agree to be changed. And this is testable. If you go to dinner with your uh, spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, and every time you go to dinner, you grab the menu from your, their hand, you say, I'm gonna order for you. See how long that relationship is gonna last. You just violated their law of liberty. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, laws of health. I don't need to say too much about that. You eat healthy, you exercise, you do all those good things, and barring any, obviously, um, uh, hereditary things or uh, external factors, environmental factors, you're gonna live longer. You're gonna have, you're gonna have a better, healthier life. That, that's a natural law, it's a law of health. The law of worship. Law of worship is an interesting one. Worship, you become like what you worship. You worship a false god, or even a true god with a false conception of what he's like, and you're going to damage yourself in some way. You, you worship the true God with a true understanding how he is, and you're gonna become a better person. This is the law of worship. Second Corinthians says, um, three, um, sorry, yeah, Second Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. By beholding, we come, become changed. This is from Lessons, uh, I'm sorry, Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 9. I wish the world knew what religion was. I wish every one of us knew what it was. I wish we would lay hold of it by living faith, and I wish we would weave it into our lives, into our eyesight, our hearing, and our tongues. Then we would work to a purpose to represent Jesus Christ. I see in Jesus everything that is lovely, everything that is holy, everything that is uplifting and pure. Then why should I want to open my eyes wide to see everything that is disagreeable? By beholding, we become changed. Let us look to Jesus and consider the loveliness of his character, and by beholding, by beholding we shall become changed into the same likeness. In the book of education, we're told that by the laws of God in nature, effect follows cause with unvarying certainty. Throw the ball up, it comes down. Happens in, uh, in life. That is the way the universe is designed. This could be called, what happens to our brains uh, as we're grateful, as we form good habits? You know, our brains actually get changed. They actually get rewired. You heard of this saying, this is a game changer. This is a brain changer. Because when we're grateful and when we um, think of thoughts like this, um, we actually change the wiring in our brains. It says, as you replace brain space with thoughts of gratitude, joy, and hope, new neural circuits start to form, creating a new pathway uh, for you to travel on. Christian psychiatrist Dr. Timothy Jennings writes, as we exercise healthy neural circuits, these circuits develop, strengthen, and expand. Conversely, the brain prunes unhealthy circuits when we leave them idle. So did you ever wonder why you don't remember uh, what language you took in uh, high school? Some of us took Spanish, some took French or whatever. How much of that, those of you who took language, if you haven't used it, do you remember of that? Not very much. And we may think, why is that so? Why did God uh, create us so that we would forget certain things? If you don't use it, if you don't use it, you lose it. 
Okay, well, that's important if you want to forget bad habits. If you want to stop doing things that you don't want to do, all you have to do is stop doing them, and your brain starts pruning those circuits away. They start going away. And the, the, if you replace it with good habits, gratefulness and things like that, new circuits start to form. So God actually created us so that we can improve ourselves as humans. Isn't that great? I think that's fantastic. All right, back to Thanksgiving. Um, th kind of three interesting things about Thanksgiving. The first one um, in its development. So the first Thanksgiving, if you think about it, was initiated by pilgrims uh, as a response to the tremendous number of debts after the first year of landing in a foreign world. It became a national holiday in the middle of the Civil War when um, Lincoln uh, declared it a holiday. And it was officially designated the last Thursday in November following the Great Depression in the 1930s. What, what do they all have in common? After, after some trying times, something was done to, to, to give thanks. Each, in each one of those, the Pilgrims, Civil War, and after the Great Depression. According to Kathy Burns, a licensed professional counselor, in good times we become complacent and are less likely to treasure the gifts of comfort and security in which we have become accustomed. In a crisis, we become acutely aware of our vulnerability, searching for strength and security through actions and connections with others. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians, as we read, uh, as we uh, uh, read at the beginning, this is our uh, text for today, and this is a, the context around it. Now, Paul may not have realized everything that's taking place, everything we talked about today, right? The science wasn't there for him to understand, you know, neural circuits and all that. But he knew one thing. He knew that when you rejoice in God, you're going to be better off for it. And so he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and open your, and your minds in Christ Jesus. For finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you ever learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So do you notice how peace comes up here a couple of times? If you praise you will have peace. Why is that? Because praise is one of the natural laws. Cause and effect. If you praise, you will have peace because you will be in harmony with the way God designed the universe to run. And you know, peace is something that we can all use, we all long for, isn't it? Amen. Okay, our closing song is going to be 560, Let All Things Now Living. <laughs>